If you had to summarize what St. Mark is all about in two words, it would be changed lives. See, our vision, as you can see on our banners around here, is that we're all about connecting people to Jesus. And see, when this happens, there's transformation, there's changed lives. And, you know, some people think that, well, we're just about doing these weekly programs and, and worship and, and building buildings. And, and while all those things are neat, you see, it's actually more than that. You see, we're really all about connecting people to Jesus and, and change and allowing God to change people. You see, uh, last week we got to celebrate uh, one of the greatest events in all of history, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And so today we're starting this new series called A Love That Changes Everything. We're going to dive into how what Jesus did for us, both on the cross and in the resurrection, how it changes the way that we live today. You know, when we talk about change, I think that um, there's many of us here that can raise their hand and identify with this video and say, you know what, I, I want to change. You know, there, there's parts of my life that I just wish were different. And, and yet it's not easy, is it? Because there's been times when we've, when we've tried to change and then it just doesn't last. You see, and that's why we're calling this sermon today, we're calling this the definition of insanity. Because we all know what the definition of insanity is, right? It's to do the exact same over and over again and expect the different results. That's right. And, and you see, I feel like that that's, that's so much of our lives, that, that we are just living examples, that we're living proofs of that. And so we're going to look this morning in, at how God helps us change for the better, to make changes that we want to make in our lives and the changes that God wants to make in our lives. See, when God wants to change us, he wants to take us through a process. He takes us through these four steps. And when we, when we understand this, then life makes sense. And so the first phase that God takes us through when he wants to change us is a crisis. So are you in a crisis today? Congratulations. You're about to be changed. See, God is getting ready to make a change in your life. You see, the fact is your biggest battle in life is not your physical battle. It's not your, your physical health. It's not your financial battle. We may think it is, but, but really your, your biggest battles in life are not relational battles with other people or career or dealing with your past. Our biggest struggle in life is with God. See, a crisis is when we struggle with God because we want to be God. We want to be in control. And today we're going to see an amazing example of this in the Bible. See, in Genesis 32 that we just read here, we have this story of Jacob, and he has this unusual wrestling match because his opponent was God in the wrestling match. I mean, you think that WWE is exciting. <laughs> Try wrestling with God. Because you're never going to win that one. But Jacob, he wrestled with God. Genesis 32 says... Then Jacob was left all alone in the camp. See, he was getting ready to meet his brother, whom he had swindled out of his life's inheritance, and Jacob at this point was, was scared. And so that night he wanted to be alone, and so he sends his wife and his kids on ahead to meet his brother. And like a man, he's waiting. All right? He's scared of confrontation. He's been running all of his life. He's alone. 
And then scripture continues. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of, out of joint at the socket. Now, you see, some people want to debate who Jacob is wrestling here, but the Bible tells us, Hosea says, before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. More on that later. When he became a man, he fought with God. You see, this guy, Jacob, he was a fighter. He's been fighting all of his life. And honestly, how do you fight with someone even before you're born? Well, uh, the Bible says that, that he was a twin, and he was fighting with his brother Esau in the womb. In fact, whenever his older brother Esau, uh, who Jacob later stole the birthright from, was born, the Bible says that Jacob, the other baby, was holding on to Esau's ankle as he came out of the womb. Okay, So just kind of imagine what that delivery room must have been like. But you see, all of his life, Jacob, he's a fighter. He's, he's been in struggle with his brother, but, but his biggest struggle has not been with with Jacob, or excuse me, not with his brother Esau, but his biggest struggle in life was with God. Now I want you to think of your biggest conflict, your biggest problem that you've got right now. It should come to mind pretty quickly. And regardless of what that problem is, I can tell you uh, two things about it. See, it all boils down to these two issues. One, will I obey God in this situation and do what he says is the right thing to do, whether I like it or not? And then two, will I trust God in this situation to handle it? And so no matter what your problem is, financial, physical, social, relational, career-wise, no matter what it really is, it comes down to, to these, these things uh, about obeying God in this situation, and then secondly, am I trusting God to handle it? So our biggest problem is not our problem. Our problem is not obeying and trusting God, and that just makes our problem even bigger, doesn't it? See, this seems to be so much the root of our problems. It's, it's our struggle with God that, that we want to be God. We want to be in control. And so God, what he does here is he brings it to a boiling point and he allows this crisis to happen. And I think that we're very familiar with that. So in Genesis 32, we find this wrestling match with God. And, and you know, really, what is the purpose? What is the point of wrestling? You see, real wrestling, not WWE, but real wrestling, uh, the objective is to pin the guy to the mat, to knock him down, to lay him flat, to get control over him until he cries, uncle, I give up, you're in control, you win. And you see, I think that, that many of us can relate to this, that, that our lives were in so much of this battle, so much of this struggle with God, that who's going to be number one in your life? Are you going to call the shots? Or is God going to call the shots? And in your notes, I want you to write this down in your margins, that, that he cannot win the match. He cannot win the match. Have you ever been in a no-win situation? See, some of us are in, are in a no-win situation right now. And who do you think is behind that? Well, well, God is. See, God backs you into a corner. Why? Because God can often allow a crisis to get our attention. It's a, it's a message from heaven. He's going to get our attention through a crisis. And all of a sudden, you're laid flat on your back and you're forced to look up. God wants to help you to grow, to be better, to be different, to be all that you were meant to be. So he allows this crisis. Why? Because, I want you guys to hear this, because we rarely change until 
the pain that we feel exceeds our fear of change. So some of us are in phase one. And once you get there, then we need to move to phase two on how God changes us, which the second phase is commitment. See, in the commitment phase of change, we refuse to change. We won't let go. We say, I'm sticking with this until I get something out of it. If you give up, you miss the blessings. See, notice Genesis 32, 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is done. But Jacob panted. Uh, he should be tired. He's been wrestling all night with, with this God. And I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now, I don't know if Jacob knew who he was wrestling with. I don't know if he recognized that he was wrestling with God or not. Uh, it's clear that later he knew it. But somehow he figured out that this one that he is wrestling was more powerful than him and could bless him. So he wasn't going to let go. He said, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. And obviously because this is God he's fighting with, God could have easily won the match. He could have easily overpowered Jacob and ended the match instantly. So why did God let the struggle go on? Why did he do that? God could have ended it quickly. But see, here's the lesson. When God allows a crisis into your life, he doesn't solve it immediately. He lets it go on for a while. He doesn't solve a crisis. Why? Because he wants to see if you really mean business, if you really want to be blessed, if you really want to get something out of it. Is it a whim or is it a real deep desire? See, imagine this. What if God answered every one of your prayers immediately? Well, I don't think it'll be good for us for a couple reasons. Uh, one is that you'd be a spoiled brat. I mean, just it'd, it'd be like the, the Midas touch. God, I need this, bam. And then, oh, I need that instead. No, I've actually changed my mind. No, I want that instead. And, and see, what would happen is that, that you'd be the most selfish person on this earth. And so God does not want to immediately answer your prayers with a yes. He lets you struggle for a while. If God answered your prayers immediately, then you would think that God is just like a vending machine, right? That you put in a prayer and pull out whatever you need. Uh, picture this. Imagine that you were to get into financial debt. You were to run up all your credit cards, max them out. And let's just picture that you got into $100,000 worth of debt on you know, buying things that you just, just didn't need. Then you were to pray to God, asking him, God, please take away this debt. Now the question is, can God take away this debt? Yes, absolutely. Uh, he's, he's the one who created the earth. He spoke things into being. He can do anything. He can remove that financial debt with a snap of his fingers. And yet, if he were to do that, if God were just to bail us out, then we would miss out. We would, we would not learn character. We would not learn discipline, money management, wisdom, and persistence. He, we wouldn't learn our lesson, and we'd end up right back into debt, Right? So God wants to build your character. He wants to teach you persistence. Now, many people miss God's best in our life because we just give up too soon. They'll say things like, well, I prayed about it. Well, how many times? Like twice? It's not like you're convincing God. God is just really seeing if you mean business. Do you mean business enough to pray about it over and over? In Galatians, we find this, this great quote, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, are you in a crisis right now? 
you have a major problem, well, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't cop out and don't run from it and don't try to escape. Stick with it. See, the problems you have in your life, your personal hang-ups, you, you know, you just can't get those overnight. These sins and these temptations that we fall into. See, we worked really hard in getting ourselves into this mess. Uh, we have a lot of these ingrained patterns. We have these bad responses, these wrong habits, way, wrong ways of responding. And you become you with all your insecurities. So you built them up over many, many years. So God isn't just simply going to remove them all at once. It's kind of like peeling an onion. He's going to take it off one layer at a time. And that's the value of having a good Christian friend or, or getting godly counsel or maybe even seeing a Christian counselor. They can help you remove those habits one layer at a time. And then the third phase here is confession. You see, in this phase, we admit that we're the problem. We stop blaming other people and we admit, I am the problem with my life. Until you get here, really, there's no major change. And this is the breakthrough when we have this confession and we admit that we're the problem. See, in Genesis 32, 27, the man asked him, that is Jacob, he says, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, I think that we can brush over this really quickly. We can see, what is your name, Jacob? Okay, moving on. But, but understand that this is very significant. You see, this is, this is strange in some ways because he's wrestling God and God already knows what his name is, right? It's not like Jacob, or it's not like he didn't know his name and God is surprised. Uh, but you got to understand this. See, in ancient cultures, you were always named for your character, for what you really were. So you might be tall or short, or your name might be brave, or it might be lazy, all right? You were given a name which was your label. And it wasn't just something that sounded nice. It wasn't just something that sounded pretty. But rather, it represented who you were. It represented your characters, your brand, your label, your identity. And that's a problem because Jacob literally in the Hebrew means deceiver, manipulator, liar, a guy who would cheat you out of your last dollar. All right? And, and see, and when Jacob, whenever he says this, what is your name? This is actually a confession. Jacob is saying, he's owning up to it. He, and so Jacob, um, he, he's owning up to this. He's saying, you know what? My name is Jacob. It's a self-revelation. He's saying, I'm a manipulator, and he's admitting it here. Now, whenever I read this verse, I often wonder if, if you or I were named for your greatest character fault, what would your name be? It'd be really odd to go around today, right, and say, hi, my name is Greedy. Or what would your name be? Would it be bitter or angry or uncontrollable temper, lustful, a user? Hi, I'm depressed. Hi, I'm fearful. I'm afraid. I'm gossip. What would your name be if you're named after your biggest character flaw? And here's the inside end of this, that, that you'll never be able to change. I'll never be able to change until I openly and honestly and authentically admit my sin, my weakness, my fault, my frailty, my character defect to myself, to God, and then get this to other people. Now, you might be saying, okay, I can deal with the me and God thing, but to admit to other people? Why? Well, because, because of this. Uh, it's, it's one thing whenever we just admit things privately. And yet, if you really want to change, uh, tell someone else about your sin. And, and you will see that, that it is, is so hard to do that. 
Um, and yet, whenever you come clean, there's this relief, this burden that is lifted off of you. And then it is less likely to fall into that pattern. The other thing is this, that, that God opposes the proud. And I think that it's, it's easy sometimes for us to become so prideful uh, that we want just to look good in front of people rather than just owning up and confessing who we really are and what we've done. And then it says this in the Bible, that God opposes the proud, but then he says, but he gives grace to the humble. And what is grace? Well, it's the power to change. And one of the most humbling things in the world you can do is say, say, this is what I've done. This is who I am. I am a blank. And, and you fill in the blank in your life right now in your mind. I am a warrior. I'm a domineering person. I'm a person who runs from conflict. I'm an addict. I'm a manipulator. See, admit it. Fill in the blank. And we need to stop making excuses if we want to change and stop rationalizing, stop justifying, stop blaming other people. We've got to come clean. See, when you come to God and say, God, I want to own up to my weaknesses, to, to my filth, the wrong things in my life. And you say, God, this is, this is what I've done and this is what I, who I really am. God's not going to be surprised. After all, he created you. He, he knows you. He, he watched you being born. You see, God, he, he knows you. The Psalms even say that he knows every single hair that's on your head. All right, so, so God, he already knows. It's, it's not uh, about uh, him being surprised and finding out. And this should make it very easy and comforting to go to God. But rather what it is, it's about what it does to us. Our hearts are changed whenever we confess to God. And I think that honestly, out of the four steps, that this one's the hardest because it's so hard for us to get past the rationalization, so hard to get past the, the blame. But if we can do that, if we can own up to ourselves and others and to God, then we can get to the fourth stage. And the fourth stage is conversion. See, in conversion, we're given this new identity. I just love this. You see, um, look at God's loving and gracious response to Jacob's confession. In Genesis 32, 28 through 30, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face. Now the transformation begins. And I want to notice a, a few things here. Uh, number one is that he gets a brand new identity. You see, God says to Jacob, he says, Your name's Jacob, manipulator, the old you. You're not going to be called that anymore. We're going to change your name. We're going to call you Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And but you see this, this wrestler uh, is, is not just a wrestler, but um, it's this, uh, the Hebrew word is that it gives it this, this power, this, um, this, this status. In fact, uh, the way the King James translates this, it says, uh, he is a prince with God. All right? And so, and when we hear that phrase, prince with God, then that sounds a little bit different than manipulator, doesn't it? You see, this whole nation is named after Israel, named after the old Jacob. You see, and God says, I know you've blown it. I know you're conniving, but in you I see a prince. So beneath all your emotional hang-ups, beneath all your insecurities, all the stuff that you don't want anyone else to know about, God says, I see a prince. 
And I think that God would say that to, to us today. See, beneath all of your sins, beneath all your hang-ups, I see a prince or a princess. See, I really see, God would say that I really see something great in you. Uh, you can be what I made you to be, not who you are now, but what I made you to be, if you just own up to it. See, we own up to it, and God says that now we're going to give a new, we're going to get a new identity. And God often in the Bible, he changes people's names. He goes from Cephas to Peter, from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. He says, that's the old you, but God is going to give a new identity once we own up to it. And then also we notice that whenever Jacob owns up to this and he gets this new label, that he's blessed. And then thirdly, we notice that he's given a reminder of his experience so that way he'll never forget what happened to him for the rest of his life. See, God gave him a limp. It says, The sun rose as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. See, remember in the struggle that God dislocated his hip and gave him a weakness. And for the rest of his life, Jacob is going to walk with a limp. He would never walk the same again. And this was a reminder of that event. See, when you really meet God, you never walk the same again. You cannot meet someone who's as great as God and not have your desires changed. And for Jacob, he would never walk the same again. And when we talk about this lump, there's a couple things that I want to point out. Number one is that it stopped Jacob's lifelong pattern of running. See, if you know anything about Jacob's life, you know that he was constantly creating trouble, and he was running from it. He created a problem, run from it. He was always trying to escape. But God said, we can stop that. We'll just give you a limp. You'll never run again. So it's this reminder. See, it's never God's will for us to run from problems. See, if we run from it, then we're just going to, um, it's just going to come up again, and God is more interested in changing our character than just making our life comfortable. And the second thing is this limp signifies that it's a daily reminder to depend upon God. See, your thigh muscles is one of the largest and strongest muscles in your body. And God touched Jacob at his greatest point of strength and then created a weakness out of it. From that point on, Jacob was going to have to stand in God's power, not his own. And Jacob leaves the situation both stronger and weaker. See, stronger in that he's not the same person anymore. There's been a conversion. All the junk in his past has been dealt with. But he's also weaker because now he's going to have to depend on God for his daily walk. And we have to remember to depend on God on his strength and not our own. See, God does his deepest work in your life when he deals with your identity. Who you are, the way that you see yourself, your self-perception. See, we, we may look at ourselves and we, we may look at our past mistakes and our sins and we may think that those things define us today. Well, they don't. They may be part of your story. They may be part of your past. But they are not your identity. They do not define us today. Instead, God gives us another label. When we become believers, we are told that we are children of God. And that's the identity, that's the label that we have. 
And you see, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came and he died on the cross. And then on Easter, like we celebrated last week, on Easter, Jesus rose from the grave. So he now has the power to forgive us, to take our sins to the cross, and then to conquer death. And so that we can live with him forever. We can have eternal life. And then we're given the Holy Spirit who only, only God, only the Holy Spirit can come into our lives and change us. That this is not something that we can do on our own. But rather that, that God can come into our lives and he can do this work in us. And he can change us from the inside out. And to make us more like him. And all this we say together. Amen. And let us pray.